Aren't you proud of these young people doing such a good job? And um, also Dennis out there. I'm just amazed at what's happening in this man's life. So proud of him. Um, I'm representing Bridges for Peace this morning. So at the table back there, a young adults adventure tour in June. And the next month, we're almost to February, February 17th, there's a tour to Israel. And we're always looking for volunteers. We, need, we have 50 to 75 volunteers in Israel at any given time. But that keeps changing. And uh, here is um, a teaching letter that comes out once a month. You can receive this to your home if you sign up. Or you can find this online as well, bridgesforpeace.com. And here's our magazine, Dispatch from Jerusalem, that comes out every two months. You can also get that online. Well, you can get almost anything you want online these days. So, And um, it's so nice to be here. We've been, um, we've been babysitting, although they're not really babies. <laughs> Fifteen to... Uh, 21, and very well-behaved children. So our babysitting duties have included more like uh, taxi service. <laughs> going to school in this uh, cold weather and um, going here and going there and just uh, caring for these children and uh, keeping in touch with them. You know, it's, uh, it's important for us to... Uh, get to know our grandchildren, and for them to get to know us. So that's what uh, Ruth and I have been doing, and uh, Pastor Alan and Gloria will be back in the city tomorrow. And uh, one of the things that I've been asked to do this week, which I've been doing, is uh, do, doing hospital visitation. And uh, that is something that I like to do. And so I have visited uh, Mrs. Hiller, Seven Oaks. I visited uh, Garrett Norsworthy, although is Garrett here? Yes, there he is, right back there, right back there. So wonderful to see you, Garrett. And we did see Louise on uh, Friday. Also, um, Peter Cooney. So, um, so we want you to uh, continue to pray for these people that need the Lord to help them. And so let's just pray. Father, we do uplift by name, Mrs. Hiller. Let's pray that you'll help her with her pulse rate to come down to normal. For Garrett, for Louise, we just pray that you'll raise them up, Lord. For, uh, for Peter Cooney, and we do pray also for, um, for Israel. Pray for the government today. They had an election this week, and it's um, it's going to be a coalition government. They're very uh, having a lot of trouble to put a coalition together to form the government. So will you help them? We do pray for our own government today. We are commanded to pray for those in authority, 
And so we just commit it all to you. Ask for your help in this service today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Someone asked me in the first service if I was going to talk about Israel today. And that's what I usually do when I come here, but I changed my talk a little bit. But uh, every time you every time you give a message from the Bible, you're talking about Israel. Because everything that happened in this Bible, or almost everything that happened in this Bible, happened on a little stage. That stage is uh, the country of Israel, 50 miles wide. Uh, most of the events happened in the length of uh, 150 miles. And um, a few things happened other places, like Paul's missionary journeys and, and things like that. But just about everything happened in Israel. And that's where God revealed his uh, presence, where he revealed himself to mankind was there in Israel and Jerusalem. So I would like to talk about the power of choice. You and I have the ability to choose. You and I have the ability to set our own sails. And so I'm going to read today from Romans 6, verses 16 and 17. And um, they have it on on the King James Version, but I'm reading from a version that I like to read at home. It's called the Living Letters. And this is what it says. Don't you realize you can choose your own master? You can choose sin with death or else obedience with acquittal. The one to whom you offer yourself, he will take you and be your master. And you will be his slave. Thank God that though you once chose to be slaves of sin, now you have obeyed with all your heart the teaching to which God has committed you. And now you are free from your old master, sin. And you have become slaves to your new master, righteousness. Is that good? And in the Phillips translation, Phillips says, You belong to the power you choose to obey. And we realize that as we read the Bible and as we live our lives... And as we observe, we realize that the way you set your sails, the way I set my sails, makes all the difference. The Bible teaches us that we are free moral agents, and God has given us the ability to choose. He didn't make us as robots, pre-programmed to do His will. So we have the ability to choose and to cooperate with God. I found a poem that I like. It's called The Exchange of Wills. And the writer says, I want my heart so cleared of self that my dear Lord can come and set up his own furnishings and make my heart his home. And since I know what this requires, each morning while it's still... I slip into that secret room and leave with him my will. He always takes it graciously, presenting me with his. 
I'm ready to meet the day and any task there is. And this is how my Lord controls my interest, my ills, because we meet at the break of day for an exchange of wills. And isn't that good when we realize that we can get up in the morning, go into the secret place, and give ourselves to him wholeheartedly and say, God, take me, use me. I'll I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. And James tells us in James chapter 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So often we cave into the devil, but the Bible says we must resist him, resist him, and he will flee from you. And at the beginning of each day, we must submit our body, our mind, and and our will to the Lord. For if uh, Christ is in control of these areas of our lives, then the enemy can't come in like, uh, like a flood, the Bible says, and Satan cannot control us. The body must be yielded as a living sacrifice. The mind must be renewed in the word, and the will must be surrendered through, uh, through believing prayer. The day of victory begins with God. It is not for us to tell God what to do. So we want to tell God what to do. We want to subject our plans to him. But really, we, we need to make ourselves available to him. And he places us in rank under his subjection to his command. We are simply Christian soldiers reporting for duty. Amen? So quiet out there. There's big lights in my eye. Is anyone out there? <clears throat> One of the things that uh, God deals with me about is um, criticizing. We can choose not to criticize. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... You which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So I'm learning to refuse the cheapening, mildewing, spoiling of fault-finding. I refuse to dwell on the faults of others. I refuse to think of them, much much less to speak of them. I will constantly say when tempted to look at or speak of human faults, frailties, or weakness. What would my life be like if I had been born as they were or lived in the environment that they lived in or if I were abused as they have been? And I will seek a picture as by a flash of divinely illumined imagination. I will think of what they could be and what they will be, what they shall be, should they be what the Father planned them to be, shall be my high resolve not to criticize, never to criticize. If I must speak of faults, 
It shall only be after much prayer and with the motive of seeking to find a way for them into larger things. He knoweth our frame, the Bible says. He remembers that we are dust. And we should remember this as well. Now in the book of Joshua 24, Joshua 24 verse 15, it says, Choose you this day whom ye will serve. This is the day you choose whom you will serve. But as for me and for my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, uh, those of you that uh, know me know that I'm the head of my house, right? And uh, Ruth gave me permission to say so as I was coming over here this morning. Being the head of the house doesn't mean you're the big boss. Okay, a lot of people get that wrong. But being the head of the house means that you're the leader. You're the spiritual leader. You're the one that, that sets the tone. You're the one that says, we're going to church this morning. We're going, we're going to serve God. We're going to do what he wants us to do and be what he wants us to be. And, uh, and it's wonderful when, when, you can, when a family can serve God together. That's really what it's all about, because God wants to pour out his blessing from uh, generation to generation, and, and he will do that if we only will choose the right way. We cannot, <clears throat> excuse me, we cannot travel east and west at the same time. We cannot dress for the Arctic, we did this week, but we can't dress for the tropics all at the same time. We must make our choice. We cannot be refined and vulgar. We cannot be pure and impure. We cannot move horizontally and vertically at the same time. We cannot love God and love the world at the same time. We too commonly believe that we have two masters and that it is possible to render service to both. Give you a couple of examples. A woman who lives a worldly life and yet wears a big crucifix or a big cross. Or a man who makes money as he pleases but never misses the communion. I, I travel around and preach in a lot of different churches and I meet a lot of different people. And recently a woman asked me to um, pray for her, pray for her family, pray for her husband. And I said to, uh, said to her, well, how, how does your husband make his living? And she said, he makes his living by being a thief. He steals things. And I said, where does he steal things? I want to make sure he wasn't coming around by my house. And she says, I don't even want to know where he steals things. Because if the police shows up at my house, I don't want to know anything. That was the man. Such a man makes money as he pleases. Abraham Lincoln said, no nation can endure being half slave and half free. And he helped to abolish the slave trade. 
An Indian proverb says, he who pursues two hairs will catch neither. And so we have a choice. Now, now in this book, we have a lot of examples of what it's like to, to make a choice and to see the consequences of the choices, whether they be good choices or bad choices. So let me, let me remind you of some of the character, characters in the Bible. Bible, the Bible says it's, it's our schoolmaster, and we can learn a lot from this book about life. The Bible gives me a chance to see how other men chose and the results. Well, let's talk about Abraham and Lot. You know, they both left Ur of Chaldees together, came down to the land of Canaan. They prospered there. And after they were there for a while, they had so many flocks, there wasn't enough room in the same area for, for all their animals. And so Abraham said to Lot, you got first choice. You go where you want. So Lot looked around. He says, well, I'll take this area. It's, it's got lots of water. It's got green grass. I think I'll move my animals over there. And the Bible says that uh, he chose the best property, and he chose to go over by the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know what that stands for. And that's where he chose to go. He, he took his wife, he took his uh, children, moved over towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And then in verse Genesis 13, verse 12, it says, He pitched his tent over by Sodom. And then in uh, Genesis chapter 19, verse 1, it says he sat in the gate. He became involved in the city. Maybe he was, uh, maybe he was uh, mayor. Maybe he was uh, city councilor. I don't know. But there he was, involved in the activities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, the Bible says God saw that it was uh, wicked, exceedingly and he said, he told Abraham he's going to destroy this city. It got so bad that the Bible says that uh, Genesis 19, verse 15, that God sent angels down there to get Lot out of there. They had to, they had to drag them out. And his wife was so much in love with that city that she didn't want to leave. They dragged her out. She looked back. The Bible says she looked back, and she was turned into a pillar of salt. And if you go to Israel like I do, drive along the road, the tour guide points out to a big rock over there, and he says, and that's Lot's wife. She's still standing there after all these centuries. Because the Bible says she was turned into a pillar of salt. Now, it's probably not really her, but that's what the locals say. That's Lot's wife. And then there was Moses. You know, he was, uh, he was put in the little basket. 
And Pharaoh's uh, daughter came along and found him and raised him as her son. But the Bible says uh, that Moses wasn't happy with that. It says in Hebrews 11.25 that he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That's what sin does. There are pleasures in sin, but only for a season. And it says Abraham, or rather Moses, had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He could see the reward for living a godly life. And then there was Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers, ended up in prison under a bum rap, and he... He was, uh, came in contact with Potiphar's wife, but he refused to sin. And what happened? Eventually, after so many years, God elevated him right up to the number two position in all of, uh, in all of Egypt. And God had sent him ahead from Israel to save lives, to, uh, to store up grain, in the seven good years, so that in the seven bad years, they had food. And eventually, his brothers and the father came down to Egypt, and their lives were saved. There were 70 of them went down to get food, and the Pharaoh gave them the land of Goshen, some of the best land in all of Egypt. There they prospered. And then after a while, of course, another pharaoh came on the scene, and things uh, didn't go so well. They, be, they became slaves, and God built them into a great nation through some of the hardships that they had to endure down there for 400 years. There was Daniel. He was uh, taken away as a young boy, taken away to Babylon. And the Bible says in Daniel 1 and 8, Daniel purposed in his heart, he determined, he chose that he would not defile himself with the king's meat and with the king's drink. Paul, he had a choice to make. He paid a glorious price when he chose his lot with the early Christians. Christ made a marvelous choice when he set his face toward Jerusalem, the Garden of Gethsemane, where he said, Not my will, but thine be done. And he became our Savior. Adam made a choice that caused him to him and his wife to be expelled from the Garden of Eden. There was that man named Esau. He came home one day so hungry, he said, I'm starving to death. I don't care if I do have to sell my birthright. Give me a bowl of soup. Couldn't wait. Chose the wrong thing, and he lost his birthright. There was that soldier named Achan. In Ai, I believe it was, they said, you weren't to take any spoil. But the Bible says he took a goodly Babylonish garment. He took a hundred shekels of silver and a wedge of gold. And his covetousness 
drove him to hide those things. But the army lost the battle. And they went search to see who was responsible. And Achan lost his life. Absalom, his choices cost him his father's throne. Saul's choice cost him his his father's kingdom. When he was a young man, he served God. The Spirit of God was on him. But the Bible says that soon there was self-will. There was disobedience. There was jealousy. He was jealous of David. And uh, he had a lot of superstition in his life. And ultimately, if you read the story of his life, he committed suicide. Rich young ruler. I lost the companionship of Christ because he couldn't give up his wealth. Judas sold his master for 30 pieces of silver. Lost his apostleship, lost his life. Demas, a man named Demas, lost his discipleship. Second Timothy chapter 4 says, Demas has forsaken me. Paul said he has forsaken me because he loved this present world more than he loved God. Choices, constant choices come our way. Pilate, Agrippa, Felix chose wrong and missed immortality. Ananias and Sapphira, their choice fooled no one but themselves. They sold property. Uh, They pretended to give it all, and they kept part of it. They deceived the church, cost them their lives. Caleb and Joshua, the two spies, they, they chose well. Jonah's first choice nearly caused shipwreck over himself and the crew. So you and I must constantly choose to do the right thing. Even even after we've been serving God for many years, we've still got opportunities to choose the right way and the right thing. Here's what total surrender means. Total surrender begins when I choose to give my body to God. Romans uh, 12, you know it. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let me just get over there. My Bible is on page 1202. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So daily, we say, here, God, here's my body going to do with it what you want me to do. I'm going to give you my feet. I'm going to give you my hands. I'm going to give you my eyes. I'm going to give you my mouth. And then in verse 2 it says, Be not conformed to this world. The world keeps pressing in on you all the time. It keeps coming at you. The Bible says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, you've got, to, you've got to change your mind all the time. You've got to let the word wash your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect 
will of God. It begins when I yield my body to the Lord. Then the next step is the mind. The mind controls the body. There can be no dedication of the body without the mind. And then I must give Christ my will that I may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Total surrender is giving Christ your body, your mind, and your will. Uh, The other day... I got a book by Chuck Swindoll that's uh, very good. And um, in this book, he calls Psalm 101, Psalm 101, the book of resolutions. So these are some resolutions that you and I can make and should make every day. Let's look over there, Psalm 101. Psalm 101, and um, these are resolutions for me. As for me, verse 1, I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. So we can sing. I enjoyed, uh, enjoyed the singing today, the singing of these young people. And you and I can learn to sing unto the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song. In verse 2, David said, I will behave myself. That's a good good New Year's resolution, isn't it? I will behave myself. In a perfect way, I will behave myself wisely. In a perfect way. The Bible tells us to be wise and to behave ourselves in a perfect way. And then verse 2 also says, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart in front of my wife, in front of my children, in front of my grandchildren. Grandchildren keep coming. 48 years ago, it started out with Ruth and I. Now when we get together, there's 19, 11 grandchildren. I will behave myself wisely in my house. How about this one, verse 3? I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I was in a home, and they had that on their television set. They had it taped on their television set. I will set no evil thing before my eyes. You know, a lot of, a lot of evil things come into our homes now through television and through Internet. Right? There's all kinds of opportunities to... Let your eyes go where, where it shouldn't. But, uh, but David said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. I won't do it. I won't do it. And then um, verse 4. I like this. A froward heart shall depart from me. I looked up that word this morning, froward. It's an old English word. It means 
disobedience. A disobedient heart I will, I will not have. I'll put it away from me. And I will not know a wicked person. Won't hang around with wicked people. Won't hang around with evil people. Won't hang around with people that are doing the wrong thing. That's as for me. And this one, the next few verses are for my house. As for my house. These are declarations that David makes. There are seven different kinds of people that David talks about here. And he makes a declaration about each one. Well, first of all, in uh, verse 5a, he says, uh, he talks about someone that is a slanderer. Whoso privately slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. And then in, um, in 5b, he says, him that hath a proud heart, I will not suffer. And then he tells in verse 6 who his friends will be. 6a, my eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land. And that's, that's why we come to church. I love to go to church. I love to go to prayer meetings. I love to go to Bible studies. Because then we're sharpened. The Bible says, iron sharpeneth iron. And uh, when, we have, when we have faithful friends, the Bible says that our friends will influence us to serve God. And the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And so much the more as you see the day approaching, as we're nearing the return of Jesus, we need to be together in his house, together with his people in verse 6, um, he that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with people that are blameless. In verse 7, he says this, he that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He said, don't have... A person in your house that practices deceit. And here's another one, very, very straight. David's very straight in verse 7b. Um, He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. I want to be around those that that tell lies. I I love to be with people that, that speak the truth, speak the truth in love. And here we go, one last one, and we're finished. Verse 8. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. Don't hang around with that kind of people because they influence, they influence us in the wrong way. Amen? But you know what? The greatest choice that you and I can make is the choice to serve God. The choice to say, uh, Jesus, will you come in? Will you come into my heart 
and into my life. That, that's the greatest choice that we can make. And that, I did that when I was six years old. That's been a long time ago. That's, let me see, how's my math? <laughs> that's 66 years ago. You know, God has been guiding us and helping us all along the way. Haven't always uh, done the right thing, but he helps you, and he helps you to get back on, on the straight, straight and narrow way. So I'd like you to close your eyes with me. And uh, if there's anyone here, I'm going to try and look up through this big light. And if there's anyone here that says, Pastor Housen, I'd like to... I'd like to invite Jesus to come into my heart and into my life today. Never done that. Let me see your hand. We'll pray for you. Yes. Someone else? Yes. Father, we just thank you that we can choose... We can choose to serve you. We can choose to open the door of our heart and let you come in. You said, you said, behold, I knock at, behold, I knock on the door of your heart. If any man will hear my voice and will open the door, I will come in. And so I pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll come into these lives. And, uh, Father, even after we even after we become Christians, sometimes we miss the mark. And the Bible says, 2 Corinthians twelve nine, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Any areas of uh, weakness in our lives, we ask that your, your grace will come in. And infuse us and help us. And we, Father, we want to walk before you in a perfect way. We thank you. Thank you for these uh, people that have gathered here. We just pray that you'll bless them abundantly throughout this week. And we commit them unto you. In Jesus' name. Amen. And we're going to... Give the benediction and dismiss you from uh, Numbers chapter 6, 24. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen. And God bless you. Have a... Have a great week, and your pastor will be back next Sunday.